welcome to a carrier bag for careful and co-flourishing decision making, a very artist title. Um, and just a note on what you're going to see on the slides. Um, I have avoided too much visual stimulation and too many words. And in place, um, we have just some lovely earthly, oceanic, rivery, soily gradients. And hopefully the reason for that will become apparent as we go through. So today's program here at the conference has really been all around um, the systems that we're inheriting and how we might want to weave different structures for them, social imaginaries that we might want to imagine differently, and um, shapes that we're currently knotted into that we might want to unknot into. Um, and we know that, um, yeah, we want to unravel from these. And we know that we need to move away from the place that we are now and towards new shapes and structures where folk can not only survive, but really thrive amongst difference. And we know this is going to require a new toolkit or carry a bag to bring in our friend Ursula K. Le Guin, who is probably one of the shining lights of this conference. I think I've heard the name four or five times today. May, may she be repeated many more. Um, and we know that, that um, this new toolkit is going to require care, which Himanshu already really helpfully glossed for us as everything we do to maintain, continue and repair our world so that we can live in it as well as possible or co-flourish, as I like to specify, particularly for humans and more than humans. Um, and I'm going to offer that one component which has at best been undeveloped, at worst been very violently uh, suppressed, is the project of our sensing, experiencing, knowledge-making bodies. Those bodies that just experienced that incredible music and was no doubt moved by it um, in the main stage theatre. Um, I really want to draw out that, especially in the dominant Euro-American tradition that um, many of us here will have inherited, um, this idea of the sensing, experiencing body has been um, very much suppressed in favour for this rationalised, reasoned, reified evidence and scientific knowledge. Um, the idea that the body has definitely separate from the mind. We haven't been um, introduced to the idea that the two are together. Um, and this has been, this has allowed us to uh, step into a world of kind of cool estrangement. And we heard it earlier with Michael's talk, this idea of nature being outside of us. Um, and it has fostered this culture of classification, boxing and bordering, um, which have been embedded our social imaginary. Um, we've, this has led to kind of only and right ways of doing things um, which have been determined by a very few set of gatekeepers, um, which of course have reproduced the same power structures and shapes of living. So um, I'm going to argue that bringing the body back has really critical implications and, and opportunities for shaping the world to come. And of course it's project of care. So in order to make change, we might actually need to make. We might need to transform these kind of abstract ideas, theories, words into the experienceable, the testable, the accountable. To feel for the possible, we might need to feel. Allow ourselves to be touched, and I mean that in all senses of the word, being moved, making space for those um, taboo impulses of the body which we've already, and the gut intuition that we have been told has to be um, suppressed. We may need to 
develop field work alongside field work, to rehearse with our own bodies, feel through doing, know through sensing. And I think Dan touched on some of this in his talk earlier. Excuse the pun with touch, and many, many puns. Um, and to sense, we may need to, uh, to make sense, we may need to sense. Um, approach is beautifully and uh, acutely synthesized by so many luminary thinkers and just some names for our toolkit. Um, indigenous researcher and designer Max Liborian, um, um, who says, I'm always glad when people raise a fist against the injustices of systems, but I'd much prefer people pick up a shovel or a microscope and get to work. Or sociologist Pierre Bordeaux, who reminds us that what learners do with their bodies shapes how they encounter, experience and understand the world. The deepest kind of learning emerges when one places their body there, when you go there. And finally, Astrida Nemanis and Laura McLaughlin, and believe me, I had to edit many quotes out, who um, work in the environmental humanities. And they say, teaching ecology requires more than a diligently curated and representative reading list. It requires being willing to go to get our hands dirty and test out the concepts we are offering up with our own bodies. I'm sure we've had experiences of, yep, yeah, let's just put a reading list um, against the problem. Um, so perhaps some of these ideas might go some way to addressing some of the pitfalls that have emerged in care projects, which often include things like not being rooted in lived experience, um, not accounting for the power structures that are, that are at play in care projects, the cared for subjects and the carer, um, not accounting for care as a labour that can be difficult, resentful, uh, triggering, traumatizing, um, and not accounting for the idea that actually in many instances we've actually lost the language for asking for care. Um, so my approach is born um, from my work as an artist, which spans many different aspects. Part of it is um, hands-on making things, actually dialoguing with my material. Part of it is um, through my gathering and hosting practice, my grown-ups schooled by the forest ground provisions where we kind of go out there and dive into the book of nature. Um, and also as my work as a volunteer Park City Ranger. And uh, just before you're thinking, this is really lovely to do with um, everyday business. Um, and thankfully my background is in brand experience, experiential campaign activation. And what I'm actually really interested in is um, how we embed this concept of care in our daily practices and the places where uh, decisions about how we live our lives are actually being made. Um, and um, yeah, with great respect, this isn't necessarily around uh, having in-house yoga sessions or going on retreats. It's about um, embedding into everyday practice. And institutions really are starting to embrace this. They're understanding that the master's house can't be rebuilt with the master's tools. They just probably aren't quoting Audre Lorde when they're doing it. So, um, in our very short time together, and in the context of this panel, I want to offer a primer or a carrier bag for some careful and co-flourishing decision-making practices. 
Um, and unfortunately, I'm going to be the person that introduces a touch of uh, audience participation before we do that. Uh, so in order to embody some of this research and to energize a bit after the lunchtime slump, I'm going to offer a little 60 second activity for everybody, looking at everybody. Um, cool, so phones and notebooks down. Uh, we're going to do little gestures of care practice, which I would love us to take into the rest of the conference. So in your seats, I'm just going to give you a few seconds uh, to think of a caring gesture, gesture sorry, that you have enacted today. So from waking up in the morning to living right here now, just a caring gesture. Okay, five seconds to have a think. And now in your seats with your hands, I'd like you to perform it. So. A few cups of teas, a few hot snug snuggles. Don't know what's going on there. <laughs> Beautiful. Wonderful. Okay, so this is a this is a non-verbal activity, folks. Um, so taking your caring gesture, keep going, please. Now I want to take your caring gesture and just want you to slow it down as slow as you can, so it's the most minute, slow-mo manifestation of this caring gesture as you can. Beautiful. Many a cup of tea made today and many other more anonymous things. <laughs> Wonderful. And now let's speed it up. Let's speed it up. This is called the gestures of care dance. Yeah, I see people grooving at the back. Yes, exactly. Wonderful. And now, finally, because we need to get on with the real work, uh, turn to someone next to you, hopefully a stranger, and take your favorite version of your gesture of care and uh, perform it to them. So find, find a buddy. And this... <laughs> non-verbal, non-verbal. <laughs> wow, okay. Okay, very enthusiastic. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Won so with your, with your new body and your gestures of care, this is going to be your little secret handshake uh, that you bring, you bring for the rest of uh, the conference. So every time you see them across the lunch, the room, you just... <laughs> so um, thank you very much. Very, very, really, really good sports. Um, just a reminder that this is not like a trademark methodology brought to you to the conference. Um, we are sensorial bodies. We do things every day. We perhaps haven't um, paid attention to it in that way. Um, and there's lots of scope to de-weird the body. So when you go back to the boardroom or the next Zoom meeting, you know, <laughs> bring a little handshake. Okay, so um, now that we've got that, let's look at uh, what's in the bag. So I'm just going to offer... Um, some more items for your careful decision-making toolkits. Um, so you're developing a response to the brief. Um, your uh, boss wants you to integrate a diversity, equity, and uh, inclusion policy, or you're organizing a way day, any of these. Um, what do we need to bear in mind? So I'll offer a few things. So the first thing is mapping our investments. 
um, entanglements, interconnections, connections. Um, for me, I like enmessments because it accounts for that squidgy, complex, fuzzier space where things get all caught up in each other. Um, but use what works for you. Um, I'm a strong believer in kind of reaching for the words that we need, and we'll come on to that in a bit. And this is really around the fact that um, the eye does not end at the skin. Um, a man, and I mean a man, um, is not an island. Our bodies are constantly caught up in fluxes and flows of species, places, people. Um, and this was something that was really brought sharply into, the relief, into relief during the pandemic, where all of these connections were suddenly made visible by their interruption. And the invitation is really to take more time in our decision making to map these contingencies and dependencies that we're caught up in, which is beyond stakeholder mapping. And for me, especially in my practice, that means taking into the ecological considerations as well. So one of my favorite activities to do is wherever we are, whether we're standing here with your sat in your chair, before you start anything or start making a decision about something, starting to map all the touch points of ecology around you from, I've got some wood here in the bar, I've got this air that I'm, has just been gifted to me to breathe, even the, the light um, is enabling me to do things, uh, the cotton in my clothes, so kind of radiating out all of these in, radiating out all of these interdependencies will help us think about who's being affected, who's being sensed, who's being influenced by our decision making. Um, next in the bag is making space for body-based knowledge making. Um, so in order to understand the effects of the things that we're doing um, we might need, and to identify those connections, we might need to outsource some of the thinking to the body. Um, and I expect some of us could all point to a time where um, something has suddenly emerged or become clearer um, by, by, through our body moving, showering, cooking, gardening. Um, and this is your body thinking through unmediated thoughts. Um, one of the classics is walking, which I, I love. I always go back to um, as a method. But this idea that we can really shift our perspective just by shifting our bodies. So I love throwing some like salt dough or colored Play-Doh into a boardroom and seeing these uh, CEOs suddenly um, um, untangle. Or do even doing things like having a conversation back to back or um, laying down, looking up at the branches, um, that shift, that literal physical shift can really shift how we think about a problem. Um, and as I hinted at earlier, it's also about um, removing taboo and that gut instinct that, again, we have been told um, doesn't, it isn't valid. Um, but actually, it's really about drawing from those reservoirs of our experience and very much are. And it's also about making decisions in the company of the things you're making decisions about. So I recently had this with a water company. It's like, should we go and hang out with the water just before we make decisions on behalf of it? So it's moving your body there. Um, Understanding how we write ourselves into the work. So, especially in this dominant Eurocentric scientific tradition, this idea that there is um, knowledge outside of us that is uncontestable has been something of a fallacy. And it's really bearing in mind how our geographies, our upbringing, our reference points, what we watched on Netflix, is we bring that into all of the research that um, we do, whether we uh, realize or not. Um, and yeah, a comment where it's still very valid. I'm just going to skip along. 
embracing play joy, and this isn't on either or. Again, it's like that fudgy place in between. Um, and there's been so much theory on the role of play, but I really wanted to bring it in um, in the context of this serious work that we're putting together. Um, and play joy, whatever this thing is, um, it's way more than um, an incubator for uh, ideas. It's actually a really central strategy for tending to um, the really critical matters that we're talking about. And uh, we can talk later about pleasure activism as popularized by people like Adrian Marie Brown. But again, this is an invitation, and again, with my own work with organizations and groups to delve into the kindergarten play playbook, mama's cookbook, spell book, you can tell from my attire, um, uh, the botanist almanac, kind of delve into different practices um, that can help um, elicit those moments of joy. And in order to do this work of decision making, we need to make space for mess making lightness and humor. Word, world making, a bit of a tongue tie, especially with my South London accent. Um, and I'm really intrigued by the verb to spell, the witchy references keep coming, um, which is all like a string of letters which you can put together, which makes things referenceable for us. But it's also this idea to manifest. Um, it's the, uh, the idea to re-enchant. Um, and these words strung together have an incredible power. Um, and again, it's a physical act because by speaking, concepts, ideas, logics, rules, containers into existence. And so it's a really important part of our toolkit for imagining a co-flourishing future. Are these words that we're, how are these words serving the project of co-flourishing and how could we be wielding them differently? Um, ecology, environment, careful, careful, immigrant, expat, relation, resource, power. And coming towards the end, um, we come to our last item in our co-flourishing bag, practice. Um, so these practices take practice. Um, they can't be masterclassed or outsourced, um, and we need to be reconditioned otherwise. We need to be tenderized, embrace that tender care that Hemanchu um, spoke of. It's about um, moments, not minutes. And we've come to the end. I hope there's something that's resonated that you can take with you. I hope we can put more things in the bag. Um, I look forward to catching up with you all further. Thank you. Thank you.